Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd and I am a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. I decided that I was done being physically tied to my business and that I was gonna spend the second half of my life living a bigger life and maximizing all the areas of my life, like family, friends, spiritual, travel, my health. And I also knew I was gonna need some help with this. So I reached out to the best minds on the planet who are experts in their field to help me to not only create true time and money freedom, but to also help me to lead a truly fulfilled life. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over, it's time to live. I truly believe in this thing called oneness. There's no separation between me and anybody. And the longer I can sit in that seat, the less the ego world can attach things to me. So in setting up your business, I think it's wildly important to have freedom. And the fastest way to have freedom is to remove yourself. It's asking the question, who can do this as good as me? And then materializing that person. All in all, like it's all come back tenfold. It's insane and it's it's the law of reciprocity. The more you give, the more will come to you. And you don't do it knowing that, you do it just to do it. The genius is not made in uh, years. It's made in decades. 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 What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today's guest is Drew Cannoli. Who is Drew? Drew is a rock star in the world of fitness, nutrition, and mindset. He's the founder of Organifi, which is an organic line of superfoods. His YouTube channel has over 4 million subscribers. That is not easy to do. In this conversation, we go deep into the woo-woo world of the metaphysical, what it feels like to have built a company that's on track for $100 million this year, and how he focuses on doing one thing and one thing only in the company. You can find him on the socials at Drew Cannoli, C-A-N-O-L-E. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Drew. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, my friend. It's awesome to be here. You are so welcome. You know, I've heard about you for some time through our mutual friends, Chris and Lori Harder, and I finally had the chance to connect with you at a conference this past weekend, and I'm super excited to have you on the show. So thank you for making the time. (laughs) Thanks for having me. This is a pleasure to be here. So, you know, I thought we would begin with unpacking the why behind an exercise you asked us to do this weekend in Los Angeles at Chris's Mastermind. You gave us three prompts. What would you do if you had 10 minutes to live, 10 days to live, and 10 years to live? Why those questions? And when you do this, if you've done it before, what are the most common answers that you get when you ask that question? Yeah, so why those questions? I'm a firm believer in if you can change yourself, you can change the world, right? But in order to change yourself, you have to stop the world. And when you stop the world, you can stop yourself. When you stop yourself, you can change yourself. And if you can change yourself, you can change the world. So by asking those questions, it pulls you outside of you and you become the observer. Who am I in this moment watching over this avatar that I call Drew Cannoli? you know, in my case. So how have I showed up? 
what would I do for the next 10 minutes? What would I do for the next year, 10 years, 100 years, maybe a thousand years if I'm drinking green juice every day? (laughs) You know, what Mm -hmm. would I do? And it silences the mind enough to realize have I been doing what's really important to me or have I just been running around in my monkey mind doing, 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 doing just to do? And it's a, it's a wake-up call. Because anytime you can see death for what it is, if you can look at death, and I, I believe people that have died, you know, I've been really close. Like I've had near-death experiences a few times in my life. And it just it shocks you into uh, being super present and aware of what's next. And from that place, you can literally create. Because if the present moment is the only place that you can manifest anything. If you're living in the future, or you're in the past, you're going to have a hard time in that creation of uh, what you want to materialize in your life. So these questions allow you to do that. That's why I asked them to you in a, in a nutshell. Have you, have you struggled with that yourself living in the present? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Like, you know, we're in the world of Insta everything, Instagram, Facebook, we got Netflix. We now have dating apps. You swipe left or right, and then all of a sudden you're on a date with somebody you haven't even talked to. There's so much noise, there's so much chatter all around us. And for me, um, that used to get the best of me. Seven years ago, before Fit Life TV, I used to just become enthralled in the doing of things and not really stopping to be present. I think over time, you know, the more I've I've grown, the more I've been meditating and getting out in nature every day and grounding, putting my feet on the earth, and um, just feeling what it feels like to be in my body is a big thing because most people are just in their minds all day. So being in your body, coming home to that, is a really powerful place to be. So you you mentioned a little bit about uh, Fit Life TV. So let's kind of get into that. In the intro, I've mentioned that uh, you run a company called uh, Organifi, or you created and now run a company called Organifi. And if my research is right, the company is about seven years old now, and you started with you started it with making a decision to only drink green drink for drink, green drinks for seven days. Can you tell us the story of how and why you did that and how it's led now to what is a $100 million company? Yes. Uh, we haven't done $100 million in a year yet. That's the projection. That's the goal for this year. So just okay. we're aware of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, transparency. Yeah. Uh, but thank, you. thank you for that. Yeah. So seven years ago, I was running a credit and debt settlement company over in Florida. Because why not? I mean, that's where all great finance companies are born, right? Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was <laughs> at a time when there was this the financial boom, the real estate boom, everything's going really great. So it was relatively easy if you had charisma and hustle, any hustle at all to be successful. So I had all the all the things of success. You know, I had this residual income coming from my company and I was making great money and I had the house and the cars and all this stuff. And I was living at the time what I thought was my dream. And I realized after about two years of doing this, that this is just not me. You know, this is not what I want to create in the world. I would, I loved helping the people that needed help with credit and debt, but I, I really wasn't living my passion. And my passion at the time was health, although I didn't really look like it. I was 40 pounds overweight. I was lazy. I was lethargic. I had no morning rituals. I had no rituals, period. And I was drinking every um, weekend to kind of self-medicate. I woke up from a wise sage mentor in my life, Frank, 
who I met with every morning for for about two years, actually. And that changed everything, meeting with him. Because he said, if you do anything at all for the rest of your life, make sure you're doing something to impact other people in a really big way. And I heard that and I actually listened to it. And I'm like, I looked at logical levels, neuro-linguistic programming. In order to change my life, I had to change my environment. So I moved out to Florida, not knowing anyone at all. And um, I started just changing all my previous habits and behaviors. And one of them was I wanted to start waking up earlier. At the time, I would probably sleep until 7, 8 o'clock um, every day and, and stay out late. And I committed to going to the gym at 5.30 in the morning every day in San Diego. And upon going to the gym every morning, I began to realize how much time there's actually in the day to get stuff done. And a lot more time to do things when people aren't up. So now I wake up at 3.30, 4.30 every morning. And I get more done in a day uh, between, I would say, 3.30 and 4 till about 9 than most people do in a week. What time do you go to bed? It's like the magic. 8.30, 9 o'clock. Okay, so you're in it. Yeah, you're kind of early. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your friend Mark, who I know was diagnosed with uh, six months to live. How did that factor into this decision? So Mark was a buddy that came to me, and he explained to me um, how he changed his life and healed. He was given six months left to live. He had a rare cancer, and um, instead of doing the the Western medicine route, he actually his wife went home and cleaned out all the sugar, the dairy, the wheat. And he started just drinking grain juice every day and got rid of the processed food. So six months after this diagnosis, he's back at the doctor and the doctor's like, wow. He's like, your labs are insane. He's like, now you have the blood of an 18-year-old boy. Your testosterone's up. Um, your you know, precursors for what you had before are completely gone and we're blown away. So he healed himself from the power of mother nature. And I thought if Mark could do this, what could I do? This guy that's just kind of overweight average trying to train, you know, I was going to the gym every day for even an uh, hour and a half. I was still working out like a madman, but I couldn't lose the weight and I was stuck. And it wasn't until Mark handed me my first green juice that had the pear and the kale and the Swiss chard that really transformed my life. I drank that. And at about two or three o'clock in the afternoon, after he had given this to me, I had this insane amount of energy. And I realized that I wasn't in a nutrition uh, deficit. I was actually eating way more than I needed. I was eating probably 3,500 to 4,000 calories a day, which the average American does. But I wasn't getting the micronutrients that I needed to change my life and my body. So that one green juice I did for every day for about two weeks. And then I'm like, what would happen if I just did this for seven days? And that was the catalyst that changed my whole entire life. Because I, I realized that food was consuming me. It was consuming my every thought. Being from Michigan and being you know this Italian boy, I was a lot bigger uh, cannoli back then. We would always eat in the morning and then we'd be thinking about where we're going to go for lunch. Or we're having lunch and we're like, oh, what's for dinner already? And I think that whole system of thinking gets to be redesigned. And luckily it has. You know, seven years with the emergence of intermittent fasting and juice cleansing, which we did back then, I think a lot of it's becoming the norm now. And I'm so delighted to see more and more people are waking up about the food choices that they're making. And by meeting Mark and drinking green juice, I did that for seven days, transformed my body. I was posting online about it as well. Like, this is how I did it. This is the food that I'm eating. And uh, sure enough, over the past seven years, 
you know, we've managed to pick up about four and a half to five million uh, Facebook followers, YouTube, Instagram, that kind of thing. Let's segue a little bit into uh, how you leverage video to create um, this massive following of four million subscribers. You know, so if you were starting today, would you start with YouTube or would you start with Facebook Live? Oh, I would definitely start with Facebook Live for sure. Why is that? Because right now, Facebook Live is much easier to get engagement. You know, it's it's interesting. That question in and of itself is a paradox, right? Because if you're shooting one video, you could easily make another video at the same time and post them both, right? I believe in both and. Um, I've made over a thousand videos on YouTube. And then I, I look at the traffic that it's generating to my website and it's dismal compared to what a Facebook Live can do. So that's, that's why I would make that decision to do the live. But since you're asking the question, why not just shoot two? I think it, it's easy. You know, you got two cell phones, three cell phones, whatever it is, you can run a live at the same time. I would do YouTube live over normal YouTube videos right now as well. All right. So when it comes to creating a video, you talk a, a little bit about being, or this weekend, you talked a little bit about being the guide versus being the guru. Can you give us an example of how you apply that principle? So I think there's way too many gurus out there. First of all, I think, you know, everywhere you go, there's this new guru popping up that's here to like save the planet and um, <laughs> follow them. You know, it's like, follow this person. And to me, I think it's much more empowering for people to see somebody else that's on the journey with them. Like I'm not separate from them. I'm here to hold their hand. I'm here to walk with them. I'm here to tell them what I'm learning. I'm here to share vulnerably, like when I make mistakes in my health, in my diet, in my mindset, even my relationships. Vulnerability is one of the big distinguishing factors between being a guide and a guru. Because if you're setting yourself up on a pedestal to be this guru, then you have to keep up with it. And that's, that's ineffective in and of itself because that's not the authentic human experience. If you can truly be a human, be vulnerable, share what you're truly eating versus all these Instagram photos of you eating berries and twigs all day. Like what about the burger? What about the pizza and the other things that you have on the weekends? I think it's much more admirable in my experience. And you're relatable. I've always wanted to be relatable. I don't want to separate myself from anybody else. I don't think that I'm better than anybody else. I get along with the plumber and the president. Um, I truly believe in this thing called oneness. There's no separation between me and anybody. And the longer I can sit in that seat, the less the ego world can attach things to me. Because it's a huge show. You know, Think about the Oprah Winfrey show. Oprah has to be Oprah. She can't go anywhere else without being Oprah. So, And is Oprah her facade? Is it truly who she is or is it the show? And for me, I just want to be Drew. That's it. At the end of the day... I'm just a guy from Michigan that loves health, that loves inspiring other people and helping other people wake up. Yeah, because the moment you, the moment you get out of that, quote, character, then you are no longer authentic and people smell it. And that's why depression exists. It's so rampant. Depression is really taking a rest from your true self. So if I'm taking a rest all the time, every single day, and I'm not really being who I'm called to be, then, I mean, that's, that's a lie. You don't want to live a lie. So just be you, be the real you, unapologetically. Yeah, I suppose as a guide, you're still teaching, but you're not teaching from uh, you know, high atop the mountain. Exactly. I'm not looking down. I'm not like, hey, peasants up here, 
it's more like I'm right there with you. Like I understand what you're going through. I've been there. Like, let me tell you what I'm dealing with right now and we can relate to each other. And that can help guide you. So, okay. So what are the key ingredients to doing a Facebook live? A lot of the people who listen to the show are entrepreneurs that, you know, recognize that they're probably working uh, too much and they want to have more, uh, more play in their life. But, you know, they're guys that are trying to create guys and girls trying to create businesses. And, you know, one of the ways that, you know, that's the most popular these days for sure is by doing things like Facebook Live. So I want to, you know, give them a little bit of education on how they can help grow their own businesses. So are there, you know, some key ingredients to doing a Facebook Live that you would say create, will help create raving fans that will really want to follow you? I think it's, um, again, it, it goes back to this point, number one of being yourself. I see a lot of people shoot videos and do lives where they're like, they, they're not them. You know, you know this person because you ha- you've hung out with them for the past two years. And then all of a sudden they get behind the camera to do a live. And it's like their voice changes and they're just like, you know, they're, <laughs> they're just not being who they really are. And it's people feel that human beings are so smart on a subconscious level. We know when we're being duped. Our intuition tells us like this. Person. Why do you think we do that? Because most that is a definite thing that people do. Why do you think the camera gets pointed at somebody and all of a sudden the the voice inflection is different? The words that they use is different. The way they look, you know, energetic. The way they come across energetically is different. What happens when a microphone or a camera gets pointed at somebody? Well, first and foremost, I think it's insecurity. I think it's coming from this place like, oh God, what if they don't like the real me? So then I'm, I'm shifting who I am in that moment to be something that I'm not. And you'll never be successful doing that, period. And you may generate some money, some sales. Like There's a lot of infomercials out there where I can guarantee you the guy doesn't talk like that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But um, ultimately, I think it's this level of... Uh, this is what the world expects of me, so I'm going to deliver it. And it comes from this inflated ego, really. It's it's a self-worth conversation that's been part of your biology for a while, and now it's just manifesting itself on camera. I heard something the other day, and they, and they said, um, when you go on camera or you know in front of a microphone, whatever, increase yourself, your normal personality by about 10% and no more. I love that. And I thought that was interesting because it gives you the energy that you need because, you know, obviously you need to put forth some energy into what it is that you're doing that you may not do, you know, during a normal conversation, but it doesn't mean, you know, go 200 X where you sound like, you know, the infomercial guy, you know, selling, uh, selling (laughs) soap. Yes. I agree with that too. And energy is big on camera. Like, so some practical tips you asked for Facebook lives. I would say first step is get grounded even before the Facebook Live and really um, cement yourself to your why. We do what's called the why identity. So why am I doing this? What do I want to hear from people after this Facebook Live? What do I want them to see? What do I want them to feel in their body from this? And what's one word that I want them to experience as they're watching this, right? You can go through this whole process. In the beginning, it may take 10 or 20 minutes to really go through these. But now I can do this whole process in about five seconds. So I'm ready to do a Facebook Live. Once I have that uh, game face on, you know, it's like prepping for a a sports game or whatever. Uh, You can go into the Facebook Live grounded. And I think that's a much more admirable place to be. 
Also, having a whiteboard or having a sticky note on your tripod to do Facebook Lives with bullets um, of what you're doing, almost like, who am I? Why should you listen to me? This is my structure currently for Facebook Lives. Who am I? Well, I'm a national you know, speaking author, 4.5 million followers, you know, juicing enthusiast, anything that you want to say in the beginning of that. And if you're just start starting out, you could just say, Here, here's what I'm into. And this is what I'm doing. And then you get into why should you listen to me, which is most of the time, how do I want them to feel at the end of the video? We're going to have more mental clarity. You're going to be motivated by this Facebook Live to change something in your life. And you may share this. Like You're going to feel inspired to share it because you want everybody else to feel as good as you after watching this Facebook Live. And now here's the five things that we're going into. right? So it's like a, a version of Toastmasters. It keeps you on track. It keeps you committed to the outcome, to your people. Because it's not about you. The minute you start thinking it's about you, that's when you start changing your voice. When you start changing the way you look on camera. When you're even questioning whether or not you should do a Facebook Live, that's because you're making it all about you. I have no problem rolling out of bed at 3.30 in the morning doing a Facebook Live because I know, I know one thing's for certain. It never was about Drew. And that's the biggest thing. When I can wake up and I'm like, hey, like this is for my people. Like this is for for our audience, the people that are struggling with diabetes and cancer and overweight. You know, 70% of the world's overweight. Like maybe one person watches this video. One freaking person decides to drink a green juice this day. I know that's gonna ripple out for the next seven generations and impact a billion people's lives. So I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do this. I don't need to do my makeup. I don't even need to brush my teeth. I'm like there. I'm right there, present, ready to transform the planet. How did you make the shift from, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm making the assumption that it was, there was once a time where it was all about Drew and now it's no longer. Am I correct there? Absolutely. And how'd you shift it? I think in the very, um, you know, when I was in the credit and debt settlement company, it was very much about me. I wanted to make money for me. I wanted to do this. But I think there comes a point in every man and woman's life where you get to a point where you have everything you could ever really truly dream of, right? Like you have your safety, you have shelter, you have whatever it is in a, maybe a small level. And you just really recognize that all of what you thought made you who you are was a lie. And truly it wakes you up. Like for me, the biggest thing is just knowing that um, I'm doing it for the greater good. And I don't need anything out of it other than that. I'm not showing up to a Facebook Live truly to sell them green juice. Do I want them to buy Organifi? Absolutely. But I'm detached from the outcome because I'm playing a bigger game. Hmm. A small game is focused on me. right? And I realized I made that switch when I was doing the credit and debt settlement company. The bigger game was to focus on uh, one person at a time. Who can I impact? Who can I have them just drink one green juice to change their life so that they can change other people's lives, their kids, their family, everything else? Love it. So let's let's take a little curve here. If you wanted to get in front of the curve now, like Facebook Live is in front of the curve as compared to let's say YouTube was, you know, sort of statically back then. What's your thoughts on VR, AR, and um, how do you see that playing uh, playing out for Organifi in the future? Yeah. So we've been in talks actually with um, you know AR, augmented reality of changing how we show up and how we present our information to our audience. And uh, it's definitely something I'm vastly interested in. I can see it 
happening much more in the future. Um, the gamification of such, right? So if you don't know what augmented reality is, I mean, Pokemon was a huge success last year. You'd had thousands of people out in the streets searching for these little Pokemon characters with their cell phones. So one of the things I've said since the beginning seven years ago was, I want you to pretend I'm in your kitchen with you as you watch this YouTube video. I'm your coach, I'm your friend, I'm your brother. Like, I'm here to help. So just imagine me being with you all day and making your decisions based on kind of what you're learning in these videos. Augmented reality gives me the ability actually to show up in their kitchen with them. You know, they look at me (laughs) through their cell phone and I'm able to give them uh, practical, tangible tips on how to change their life. And once you start coupling that with, you know, smartwatches and these other, the aura ring that I have, you can literally track and um, help people like as if you're there. So I think gyms in the future, five, 10 years from now will be completely obsolete. I think more and more people will have like a holographic coach that just shows up in their house when they need to move or baseline cortisol rates a little too low. So we want you to go do 10 air squats outside. Right. So it's, it, there's so many metrics that can be tracked with the digital technology that presents itself to us today. Um, and it's just a bold new future. Like it's, it's going to be insane. I'm really looking forward to it, the possibility. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the uh, the other day. Um, I, I can't remember the company. I think it was Nike, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody could check me on this that just bought uh, Under Armour. And uh, the reason why they bought them is because they want to wire up Under Armour um, for metrics. Because most people are wearing Under Armour right now. So that's that's the direction we're going. So, okay. you And we're just going to bounce around in, in sort of a nonlinear order here. But you... You also talked about the importance of having an avatar, and you mentioned that you know your avatar, avatar is named for Organifi is named uh, Deborah. She wears Lulu. She goes to Whole Foods. How'd you figure that out, and how do you apply that into your business? I think after doing a thousand videos, and you know, I don't even have to do that. Like I could do five videos now, and based on the comments, based on the emails that I'm getting, you could take every single. Let's let's say we do five videos. If somebody's just starting out, five live and emails for the past two weeks to a month. I can take their age, a photo of them, put it all on a board, and I can sum it up into one character that I'm uh, working with. Um, that I'm wor- you know, that's, that's an avatar. So that's who I'm going after as far as marketing is concerned. Uh, Crystallytics, too, is another thing that you can use. It's expensive, but they'll mine your whole entire database and actually tell you who your avatar is, which is pretty cool. But um, I don't think you need that personally. I think it's just being intuitive enough to like really read the comments, look at their Facebook profiles of who's leaving the comments, and nine times out of ten, you'll figure out exactly who your avatar is. Mm, that's really good. Look at their Facebook profiles. You'll save a lot of money. So basically, if somebody is going to take the time to comment, they're likely your avatar. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. I had not thought of that. Really, really interesting. Okay. So, you know, you started this company, I think in your kitchen. Uh, and I also think that you have now over a hundred employees, but you, there was one thing that was just resonating through the room when you were speaking. And that is the notion that you're not even on the org chart anywhere. Mm -hmm. Were you ever on the org chart and why are you not on it? Yeah, I think it's um, for me, I'm the CIO, which is like the chief inspirational officer. And then uh, Jamel, who is my CEO, is like on the org chart. Basically, he's the top of the org chart and I'm kind of off it, just floating into space. 
And the reason I chose that is because um, as an entrepreneur in building this this dream, you know, this vision of having a company that transforms the world, it's important to uh, be able to have freedom for me at this point. Like if I wanted to uh, meet with whoever it is in the world, I could do that. And I'm not constrained by a, a daily job per se. It's like the flexibility. So in setting up your business, I think it's wildly important to um, have freedom. And the fastest way to have freedom is to remove yourself from a position. Number one, you got to recreate yourself and reinvent yourself 100 times over. Because I've done every single position at the company, right? So in sitting in those seats, it's asking the question, who can do this 80 to 90% as good as me? And then materializing that person with the money that you have coming in from sales and everything else. And the more you do that, the more you're removing yourself from the actual chart. Your mantra is to elevate and delegate. Can you give us a real world example of how you use that? Yeah. So elevate and delegate. Somebody comes in, they start at Organifi. It's all about giving them the proper tools, resources, uh, leadership, seminars, events, books. We have book club every week where we read a book together as a company, uh, which is really cool for culture. And by doing these things um, day in and day out, you're elevating your people. And the higher they go up as a human being, even outside of work, like let's just leave it to their own psychology, their spirituality, who they know themselves to be in the world. Um, that influences their behavior on the job as well. They're more committed. They're showing up more. They're they're playing bigger. They're asking deeper questions. Um, and they're delivering more than they ever have. So elevating them to a level and then giving them more and more responsibility as they elevate up the actual uh, organizational chart has been super rewarding to see the growth and then very powerful from a business standpoint as well. What is the mechanics of reading a book club every week? Does everybody just, you know, sort of sit around the fire and one person reads or is, do you read it individually and then come back? Like what, what's that look like in it real life? It would be awesome if everybody sat around a fire, <laughs> eat on drums and then we read together, but... Right, some marshmallows or something. I don't know. <laughs> book club is, we have Slack, which is our communication mechanism that we use as a company, one of them, um, where we put a vote process in. We get like eight to 10 books that we want to read. And then everybody votes on it in our company uh, level 10 meeting, which happens once a week for an hour and a half. And in that level 10 meeting, we have the new book that we choose. We all read it and then we go over it in the next meeting. What does level 10 meeting mean? Uh, level 10 meeting is uh, once a week, we get together, we go over KPIs, which are key performance indicators. We go over the good news. Uh, we review uh, culture highlights, company highlights, rocks. We review um, the goals that everybody has individually, where they are to goal, um, any issues and problems that come up. We're actually going over the issues and problems in that meeting as well and figuring out how to help that person remove the problem, basically. And then we rate the meeting. So we're always getting better. We're always adding to it, taking away, changing whatever needs to be shifted and reinvented. And then we're growing as an organization because if you can't track it through processes, then you don't really know what you're doing. So level 10 is a process and it's a system of continuously hearing from the voices of the people that are on the team that make up the company. And is it called level 10 just because scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best? It's, it's called level 10. It's based on a book called Traction. Uh, Gina Wickman wrote this book. Uh, Traction gives you all of your you know, structure for your annual meetings, for your level 10 meetings, for your daily standups. 
we do a daily stand-up meeting every day at nine and it lasts about 10 to 15 minutes. And we go over, what's the one thing that I'm going to do today? And everybody reports. So it takes 10 to 15 minutes to do that. And then we kind of know where everybody is and what, who needs help, that kind of stuff. Okay. So, you know, clearly if you're going to remove yourself off, off of the org chart, you have to make sure that you have people who have really good follow through so that you're not doing the work. What does your hiring process look like and how do you know you have a winner? So we go through a whole rigorous interview process where four or five people, depending on what the position is, will interview them. Um, at the same time, they're doing uh, personality tests, Myers-Briggs, Colby test. We do the synergist test as well. Um, and we're taking this data. We're getting statistics of who this person is in the world. You know, we're, If it matches the position, I mean, we could talk days about hiring process alone because it's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just, just a high level Yeah, view. once we have all this data of who they are and we get their energy, their experience, and like, are they really enthusiastic about this job or are they just doing it because they need the money? And that's the person that we don't want to hire. Um, usually we hire from the tribe, from our community, because they've been watching videos, Mindset Mondays for three, four years. They're excited about the opportunity to be a part of our award-winning culture. And then they go through these, the personality process, Then we put them on a um, 90-day trial. So they're not fully hired yet. They go through a trial process where for 90 days, they're to do X, right? And then at the end of that, they're evaluated. And then we hire them on um, full-time employee. How do you measure energy and enthusiasm? Do you just watch them? I think it's uh, intuition is the big thing. I think it's... Um, watching them, it's feeling them, it's it's seeing how they act when they come in, um, how connected they are to the group. There's a lot of leading and lagging indicators that can go with that. So we talked about the uh, the book, The One Thing, and you mentioned that your one thing is to get 1.2 billion people who are drinking soda to drinking green juice. Can you share a story on how you do that throughout a typical day? So my typical day looks like waking up, doing a Facebook Live, right? inspiring people every day yeah every day five days a week monday through friday 6 a.m i do the facebook live uh, before that you know because i'm up at 3 34 i'm meditating i'm reading i'm uh, inspiring myself to fill my own cup up so that it's flowing overwards and i'm giving from my saucer i'm not even getting from the cup because my cup's so full all the time that's my first that's my first focus like making sure that I'm taking care of Drew before Drew goes out and attempts to take care of the world, right? Because if you can change yourself, you can change the world like we talked about in the beginning. So once that's done, I'm doing the Facebook Live and then I go to the gym, you know, Instagram and storying some stuff, doing some social media. And then I go in the office. I uh, look at the environment, the numbers, the metrics from the last day. I'm gauging energy. I'm connecting with as many people as possible giving hugs to my team. I'm inspiring them. I'm motivating. I'm inspiring you know, them to take action on their KPIs and their goals. Um, and then I have maybe a couple meetings throughout the day and potentially shoot a video or two here. Uh, but that's kind of what my day looks like now. It's a lot of um, planning for these Facebook Lives and strategy in these meetings, but it's it's removing myself and getting out of the way and, and having these high-level conversations with other CEOs that want to change the planet and working together with them. That's my that's capturing the majority of my focus at this point. Which is sort of serving your one thing mission. Yeah. 
So a lot of things that super successful people do are counterintuitive. And you shared with me that you date your employees. HR doesn't love that, but the intention <laughs> and the, the idea is there. Why do you do that? And can, can you tell us a little, maybe a story that imp- impacted you on one of those dinners out with your peeps? Ever since the beginning, you know, working with May, because May was one of my first my first employee, actually, she's been with me for seven years. And I wanted to know who May was outside of work. And I wanted to, you know, let's say we weren't working together. Like this is the type of person that I'd want to hang out with anyway. So that's actually a question in the hiring. Would I hang out with this person outside of work? And if the answer is no, then do I really want that energy around me? It's actually delightful to hang out with all of my employees, whoever they are, wherever they are in the process because they all have a transformation story. They've all been impacted or the result driven in their life, super motivated, and it's fun to be around them. So I make it a a thing once or twice a week to take one of my employees out to lunch or go go go-karting or, you know, the girls love going to the nail salon and whatever it is, like I'll do it with them. And we'll talk about business. We'll talk about life. We even talk about relationships. So it's just being that friend before boss that I really like. Does it ever get weird for you where you feel like you're crossing a line where they'll share something maybe that's, you know, a little too personal? How do you protect yourself against that or do you not? Yeah, I mean, I, I could like go into these these situations and be like, all right, I'm gonna protect myself from getting too personal with these people. But again, it's the guide thing, right? I don't want to change who I am just because I'm the boss and the entrepreneur of this thing to fit the mold of to be that boss and in charge of them. I don't want them to feel like that. I want them to feel like they could come to me with anything. And many of them have, you know, whether they're dealing with a financial struggle or whatever, like I want them to know that I'm there and they can trust me as a friend even before their boss. And I think that recreates uh, culture in and of itself. I remember bosses back in the day that I had that were similar to that, where they were super friendly and they wanted to know what I was up to. And it just really left an impression on me. And I've always wanted to, to be that in the world as well. Got it. You are way more woo-woo than I thought you were going to be. <laughs> and it's, it's in a really, really good way because I lean that way personally. And, and certainly as I'm getting older, I'm leaning that way even more. And so I want to kind of shift a little bit and talk woo-woo with you. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was the, uh, the notion, if I remember correctly, of segment intending, where you're sort of like looking at the next segments that you're about to do and you know, putting that energy out there and creating it. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and how you do it? Yes. Yeah, so oftentimes we're so caught up in, you know, what am I going to say next? What am I going to do next? And, you know, we forget, like even being at the restaurant, most people have a hard time remembering the person's name that's like waiting on them because they're so in their heads. So I think segment intending um, for me is the ability to stop that, to really focus on what would I like to create in the next 10 minutes. So practical example would be, we've been on this podcast for 39 minutes and 25 seconds, right? We got, I don't know how long your show goes, but maybe another 10, 20 minutes. What do I want to create in the next 10 or 20 minutes? 
And then I come up with a whole list of what I want to create, what I want that to feel like, what I want that to look like. And you can do that before you do anything in your life, before it's walking into a room. Who am I here to impact? Who am I here to inspire? Who can I bless? And then you go in. And if you start segment intending, intention rules the world. So if you can set powerful intentions for your day, you can literally see the whole movie screen of your life start to shift. The character, the plot, the music, the story, everything will start to change because your intention is ruling the day. So segment intending, stopping every hour, every two hours um, throughout the day will give you a new perspective in how to operate and the type of energy that you can have on in these individual moments without um, living life like it's Groundhog's Day. You know, that Bill Murray movie where we just go, 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 go. And then one day we wake up and it's too late. Yeah. I mean, you're a little bit of a freak when it comes to this. It was kind of wild watching you command the room. You were walking over to people that didn't have their hand up and just like getting up right in front of them and saying, what was your question? And they're like looking at you like, how did you know I had a question? Like, I know you did. What is it? It's almost freaky. Have you always had that gift or have you honed it or... Or, or where do you buy it? Yeah, so I... <laughs> where do you buy it? <laughs> I think uh, one thing that's helped me is meditation. You know, just really sitting in silence for 30, 45 minutes a day. It's more of a feeling for me too. I just feel people in such a big way. And I just listen to the feeling. And nine times out of 10, it's pretty accurate. I know it's spirit, you know, inside of me, the great spirit, whatever you want to call it, universe, God. I know it's this connection that we all have. And if I just remove Drew, the ego Drew, the shadow Drew, the five-year-old Drew that wants attention, right? Then I can truly be in a state of nothingness. And by sitting in nothingness, that's when I can create and truly connect. So as men, we have this box in our mind, the nothing box, which is great. Women have like a thousand pop-ups happening at all, all the time. <laughs> but we can go there as men in this nothing box. And I like when I'm in front of the room, I like to go there. I'm not thinking about um, how I messed up the beginning of the slideshow presentation or um, are they really going to get what I'm explaining on these PowerPoint slides. I'm like totally tapped in, baby. And when I'm in that place, it's amazing the, the levels of information that you get outside of the 3D world. Yeah, you definitely were exactly as you just as as you just described. So you talk a lot about abundance mindset, big thinking. How did you how do you practice that abundance mindset, eliminate thoughts of scarcity and get into that true authentic state of abundance? Yeah, so I'm glad that you're asking this cuz this is something that has taken a lot of work in my life. And also I want to acknowledge your last question too. I don't think anybody's ever said it as eloquently as you explained it to me. But it is it is kind of freakish. Like it probably freaked a lot of people out in the room. They're like is what's this guy doing? Like some kind of magic <laughs> trick. No, but actually actually in a good way and and the the, the comments that I got I'm sorry to step all over you, but the comments that I got uh after the event was holy shit that guy was magic. So it 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 read really special and not... I mean, it's freaky, but it read really, really special. Yeah. So abundance for me, like growing up in Michigan and you know, the bottom, bottom, very, very, very bottom of the middle class, it took a lot of work because we have all these beliefs in our mind to create wealth and what we're up against. You know, Money is scarce. It doesn't grow on trees. You got to save, save first. 
all this stuff. And I just, I didn't want to be like any example that I had growing up, I knew was the wrong example. Anybody that I met in my life for the first 25 years of my life, like that's not the example. This isn't it. This isn't it. But I had always had this this woo-woo thing deep inside of me. And I would always look out at nature and be like, hey, this this is abundance everywhere I look. You know, the, the acorn, the fact that it can grow into a 70-foot tall pine tree, um, that's abundance. And if I'm part of nature as a human being in this meat suit, this 3D box that I live in, um, and I have organs and tissues and I produce 50 trillion cells every single second in my body, that's abundance. So why is there a disconnect in making money? So I was able to connect making money, energy to the energy of nature in my body, and there's no separation. So I removed all the thoughts that I had in my mind by programming my subconscious mind, reading copious amounts of books that transformed my subconscious, my thoughts, listening to Earl Nightingale when I was like 15, 16 years old, uh, Tony Robbins, you know, Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles, reading all this stuff, watching The Secret every day for like a year and a half to really recondition and program my mind because I knew it existed there. I knew I had to shift it upstairs in order to change my physical reality. I laid money all over my house at a certain point where everywhere you would walk, you'd see dollar bills and coins and you know a few 20s here. I was, thought I was balling because I had these 20s laying out, right? And uh, <laughs> I had no money in my bank account. I had more money laid out in my house. But what it was doing was it was impressing on my mind that it was everywhere. I literally had money everywhere. And it was easy. It was effortless. And I say, you know, affirmations can change your life or affirmations, like you're literally forming things out of the formless substance when you're affirming it. You're saying it in a certain way. You're watching it. You're witnessing it. And soon enough, money just started to come easily and frequently. So what I was always saying was money is coming easily and frequently like a tidal wave that's rushing in. It's flooding all over me in every dimension of my life. It's happening. Money is coming in easily and frequently like a tidal wave. It's, you know, And I just would say that over and over and over until I got to a place of feeling it in my body. And when you feel it, feeling is the greatest secret. Because feeling the heart, the, the human heart, has a greater electromagnetic frequency than the brain. It's one thing to think it. It's another thing to feel it. Like what's crazy is before 9-11 happened, the satellite that captures the electromagnetic frequency of the earth spiked four hours in advance of the, the planes crashing. What that was, was the humans in New York and throughout all of America and probably various parts of the world intuitively knew that something disastrous was going to happen in their heart first. So the electromagnetic frequency expanded. The satellite picked it up four hours in advance. So knowing this type of information on a science, uh, scientific biological level that we have access to, wouldn't we be impressing in our mind the feelings of abundance day in and day out? Wouldn't it be one of the most important things that we do every single day is to eliminate the vernacular around scarcity, to not allow people into our environment that are toxic and have limiting beliefs about what type of abundance could be created? It becomes like... You have to become like the greatest MMA fighter in the world with your thoughts. You have to stand in front of the mat and not let any, uh, any intruder in the dojo with you that has any sense of uh, scarcity. And the intruder is really um, those, those limitations that are in every single one of our minds. But it's how conscious are you going to be? How much awareness are you going to be to your thinking and the feeling that it, 
uh, generates within you. And once you master that, dude, like sky's the limit. You believe anything is possible and you feel anything is possible and miracles start to create themselves right before your prefrontal cortex rippled out into your reality from your own eyeballs. It's like literally, it's magic. It's, you're in the matrix. You are literally plugged in the matrix right now. And the training of that comes in by making sure that you take the time, uh, you know, in the morning, morning ritual, et cetera, to add, you know, the books, et cetera, the meditation in to make sure you hardwire this stuff in your body. Exactly. Yep. So you, you talked a lot about um, using the law of reciprocity to grow your business. And one of the things that you mentioned was that you write out three cards a day. So um, within our uh, within our little mastermind Facebook group, we're challenging each other to take your recommendation. And we you don't know this, but we've uh, we've purchased um, custom cards with our brands on the front, and we are holding each other accountable for sending it out to people. And I, I did my first three today because the shipment came in. And uh, I got to tell you, it was a really interesting exercise to do, particularly in the morning and sending it out. Energetically, it just felt really, really good. It really felt good. So talk to me a little bit about how you, how you use the law of reciprocity in your life um, in other ways. Yes. All right. So imagine this before I get into that with the reciprocity, when you send those cards out, right? It changes those neurochemicals in your brain for up to three years. I just read a study. So you literally wrote three cards that's going to impact your neurochemicals in your brain and basically make you happier for the next three years from those three cards. Now, if you do that every single day, what's that going to do to you? It's going to be insane. You're going to walk into every room. You're going to have the largest freaking smile on your face and uh, feel so connected to everyone because of that. Like, keep doing it, dude. Like, this is going to transform everything in your whole entire life. Just this one thing. So I'm excited. Yeah. So, you know, your morning routine um, has now expanded to several hours and includes things like eye push-ups, Japanese meditation, reading spiritual texts. What is the one thing that you do in the morning that you almost never, ever skip? No matter how busy it is, you make sure that you do that thing as part of your morning routine. So the one thing is, and I didn't address the reciprocity thing. I don't know if you want that, but yeah, I do. Okay, so let's go with reciprocity and then we'll do the, the one thing in the morning. So reciprocity is uh, what can I give versus what can I take? And if you have this attitude in business, simply put, in every moment, how can I give more? How can I give? Give, give, give. You'll be rewarded tenfold. It's just a secret of the universe. And to be a, there's a good book called The Go-Giver. And to be a go-giver is phenomenal. Yeah, I, I interviewed him as uh, Bob Berg, super nice guy. Um, and it, just to kind of piggyback on this, <laughs> after I interviewed him, and I was grateful to have the interview because, you know, he's, he's a big shot these days. I got this, you know, probably the equivalent of a half a page single space letter from him uh, thanking me for the opportunity, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's next level right there. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. 
Yeah, you got it. You know, you talk about um, Wayne Dyer as having uh, a crazy impact on your life. Was that because of the time in your life or was it specific strategies that he gave you? In other words, you know, you mentioned Earl Nightingale. And as you were mentioning, I hadn't thought about it, but I remember, you know, I grew up... um, in Queens as a, uh, you know, not my, my dad was a truck driver. My mom was an office worker. I grew up in a, you know, an apartment sort of like just outside of the ghetto. And I remember all I wanted to do was to get out of it. And so I would listen to Earl Nightingale's Strangest Secret. I would listen to Wayne Dyer, um, on repeat. And so you're, you're triggering, triggering a lot of those emotions. So for me, it was sort of like, a time in my life, you know, that I, that I remember him, you know, Earl and and Wayne, was there something specific with Wayne, let's take that he taught you, or was it just that you were sort of like entering into this world at that time? And he was your guide. I think, um, it was more the second one, you know, I was entering into the world of, um, listening to, uh, Wayne on stage, you know, his PBS special, the power of intention, one of his very first books. And I would listen to this in like long car rides. This is back in the day when there were CDs, right? You remember CDs? I do. And I would just put these CDs in and it was like, I couldn't stop. And then from Wayne, it turned into like Esther Hicks. So when I was like early 20s, I was listening to Esther Hicks. Um, she used to do a seminar and then send a CD out of every seminar. I'd listen to this every month and just on repeat over and over and over because I knew what we talked about before. I knew if I could get these thoughts in my body, feeling it, that it would change everything in my life. And thank God for CDs and these amazing souls um, so long ago because I now I see it. It's all It's all paying off. I didn't see it then because at the time I was broke, I was struggling, I wasn't who I am today and all these other things. But the ripple effect of doing it over and over and over consistently, like genius is not made in uh, years. It's made in decades. So in order to become a master at anything, think in terms of decades as opposed to two, three years. You know, I think it's easy uh, for people to assume that you've got everything all figured out, you know, and everything is uh, perfect. But but I also am old enough to know that not everything is rosy all the time. So I want to uh, touch on uh, some dark periods in your life. Can you walk us through some of the uh, darker times that you've had building your business and what you were able to do to get yourself out of it? Yeah. So uh, flashback three years ago, I was running FitLife TV. Organifi hadn't been born yet. And we were losing $50,000 a month in money because organic reach on Facebook just died. If you can remember that time, we were getting so much traffic. We were making, you know, a million plus dollars a year just on selling digital products. And I had a much smaller team back then. So, uh, 50 grand a month, I had to let go of the people that I cared about my family that were part of the, the fit life team at the time, two or three people, um, back then. And I remember just questioning whether or not I was doing my life purpose. If I was doing the right thing, I couldn't figure out how to get anything converting. Um, And then one day, I sat with seven of my people on the team around a a juice bar here in San Diego called Vitality Tap. And we just changed the energy. We took the principle of gratitude. We all said something that we're grateful for. And at the time, we were researching superfoods and we had gone through 52 different iterations of a green juice powder that we were going to create that had ancient Ayurvedic principles in it that could transform the world. 
Um, and we finally settled on one. And two weeks from there, we were about to get it. But we all went over something we were grateful for. And we felt the energy shift in the group. And then two weeks later, when the actual product um, launched, I posted on my personal Facebook page. And my CEO now, currently, uh, Jamel, was like, Hey, like we just sold $500 with the Organifi. And then a thousand. Then he was like, All right, guys, this is bring, we've already made $5,000 in sales in like the first hour on a personal Facebook page post. And at the end of the day, we made like $37,000 and we saved the company. But it took that switch in getting super grateful and super present with everything that we've created. Um, being vulnerable with them too, like letting them know where I was. It was so painful for me to write checks back then that I had my employees write their own checks. <laughs> it was so painful. I didn't even want to look at it. Right? Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was probably one of the biggest places in our company's history. And there's a lot of there's a lot of scars. Like there's you get beat up in business, right? There's times when I've lost. Hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars in different media campaigns that we ran, and but all in all, like it's all come back tenfold. It's insane, and it's it's the law of reciprocity. The more you give, the more will come to you. And you don't do it knowing that; you do it just to do it, of course. And that changes everything. We've transformed over ten thousand people physically. We have images and videos and. You know, people changing their lives, drinking green juice and going through some of our older transformational programs. Yeah, it's just, it's awesome to be a part of this. All right, so we're going to wrap with uh, two, uh, two quick rounds. The first one is uh, the, uh, the play hard round. So you, you moved from Michigan to Florida to San Diego. I'm assuming that that was intentional for you, um, that you said, hey, look, obviously I want to get out of Michigan. Not, not, no knock to Michiganders, but I'm sure that you know, they don't say, I wish they were all Michigander girls, right? They're California girls. <laughs> so... So did you, was it deliberate for you where you were chasing sunshine uh, to sort of like, you know, well, just using the lens of the play harder side of your life? Um, was it deliberate for you to get out of Michigan and get into sunshine in Florida and then ultimately in San Diego? Talk to me a little bit about how that happened and how important living in San Diego is. So it's just, for me, my life has been this perpetual movement towards the evolution of the mind. So in Michigan, I was in a, grew up in a small town, 800 people, right? And there really, at the time, there wasn't any representation of what I wanted to do in business. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to move to South Michigan and go to school and then start at this company called Quicken Loans. So I worked in the corporate environment for 90 days. I've only been, I've only had a job for 90 days in my life working for somebody else. I've always been an entrepreneur. And then I'm like, you know what? I got to, I got to get out of here. It's eight months out of the year. It's gray skies. And um, again, there's no real representation of what I wanted, what I thought was possible in business. And um, I moved to Florida and started doing loans um, because of easy money and real estate. And I thought money was the answer, right? At that time. And this was flashback a decade ago. I wasn't fulfilled there. I'm like, what is it? What is it about this? Then I, I met somebody from California and they just seemed like... It was crazy. Like the energy was different. The awareness was different, much more open minded as opposed to where I was in Florida. Like, you know what? I'm going to go check San Diego out. And um, it just was calling me. It was like one of those things in your life where if you listen, you hear it calling you. 
And it's, am I going to take this opportunity or am I going to stay where I am? And at the time, it was very much, I got to move to San Diego. Well, here we go. And it changed everything. Legitimately changed everything in my life. How long ago was that? Seven years ago. Oh, okay. So you've been there for the whole Organifi yep, time. Yeah, Organifi and Fit Life. I started Fit Life as soon as I moved to San Diego. It was like by changing my environment, it gave me the freedom to change all the inauthentic, ego-driven ways in which I was becoming. So it was a turning point in my life. I was 29 at the time. How has your home environment or how have you created your home environment to sort of rise up to you, make you feel energized and you know in alignment with what you just mentioned? So one could probably describe my home as like a living altar. I have uh, artifacts from all over the world that are super high vibrational, like total woo-woo, dude. You got to come check this out. Uh, but everywhere you look, it's pristine always. I have a housekeeper come in two, three days a week. I'm a single man, right? 4,000 square foot house, pretty big house, completely spotless at all times. It's a living vision board for creation. So everywhere I look, I'm impressing on my subconscious mind pictures of different places in the world where I want to travel, right? There's crystals, like 880,000-year-old crystals like hanging out here and there um, that you just feel. And when people walk in here, it's like, all right, I just stepped into a different planet. And it's very intentional to have that. Because I think as human beings, we, we need that. Like that's something that's so crucial, feeling that wherever you are. And you can feel it within. Yes, you don't need um, what I have. I mean, you could literally sit there and meditate and vibrate yourself silly till you disappear to dematerialize your body if you wanted to. Um, I happen to like to live in the physical world as well. And um, I like, like having that in my environment to inspire me, to encourage me, to um, you know, lift others, people, other people up when they come over too, by getting these artifacts from all over the world and and um, really meditating with them and just being in the presence. I feel like it just um, moves everything forward. It's it's the evolution of of a home, I would say too, because that's always evolving. Yep. Got it. Got it. I'm definitely going to take you up on it next time I'm out in the West Coast. All right. So we're going to wrap with uh, some rapid fire questions. Feel free to take as long uh, as you want or answer them as quickly as you want. Just sort of first thing that comes to your mind is what I'm after. What is the one book that you have reread most? I would say Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. Started it um, the day I got back. And there's sometimes I sit there and I read one sentence for 20 minutes. <laughs> That kind of book. I'm in the uh, I'm in the formless section of the book, so that w this has been one of the most profound reads. So I second that. What is the one thing that you own and probably should throw out, but you're never going to do it? Oh God, I would say I have this organic microwave popcorn that I eat way too much. Like I know microwave popcorn is just bullshit, right? It's terrible for you, but I, for some reason I just like it. Drinking a kombucha and having this microwave popcorn is like. <laughs> I know it sounds, it doesn't even sound half bad, but really, truly, guys, like I just got to get rid of this shit. What is the one app on your phone that you can't live without? I would say now it's my guitar app because I'm learning the guitar and I have all the tabs that I'm practicing on these songs and I just open it up and it brings me uh, straight up just bliss every time I play. Best advice for your 30 year old self? Don't be so hard on yourself. You know, have more fun, celebrate more. Celebrate more. If I were to talk to your friends and ask them what your superpowers are, what would they answer? Connection. Last question. If you had to give a TED Talk 
on nothing that you are known for or nothing that you speak about, but it could be on anything that you like to do or have a passion for or anything else, what would it be? Oh, God. I would say waking up to the fifth dimension. We're gonna leave, we are gonna leave that for a part two. <laughs> All right. I cannot thank you enough. Um, I am so grateful to uh, Chris and Lori to uh, have introduced us, and I know that um, that we're gonna have uh, a lot more to share over the years. Yes, we are, my friend. Thank you so much for this interview. It's been amazing, and I love it. What is the best way for people to uh, to follow you um, on the socials? Where do you where do you prefer that they go? So Facebook, Drew Canoli at Drew Canoli, and then Instagram, same thing. Facebook and Instagram. YouTube is Fit Life TV. If you want to go there and check out all of our videos. Okay, and you're you're more active on Facebook than you are Instagram, yeah? Yes. Okay, cool. Which explains why I tagged you 15 times and you haven't responded. Got it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Thanks for the interview, buddy. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.